From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Today on Highway 89, we are so excited to have in Studio 6 with us live Harry and the Potters. Hello. And that is Paul and Joe DeGeorge. Thank you both for coming today. Oh, thanks for having us. And I understand you've flown in even from different states. Things have changed a lot since the very beginning of Harry and the Potters. It's true, yeah. We're spread out a little bit more right now. Paul DeGeorge, at the time of the founding of Harry and the Potters back in 2002, was working for a biotech firm as a chemical engineer, having graduated from Tufts University. And had a band, it's The Secrets. Yeah, you right? did your homework here. We try, we try. <laughs> we contacted the NSA, that's our secret. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, uh, Joe, you were actually a high school student. Oh yeah, I was a teen. I was Harry Potter's age. So <laughs> in some ways, that's sort of the ultimate dream. Oh, to, oh yeah. To hook onto Harry Potter and then keep that going with you through. Yeah, I mean, I was reading the books uh, kind of growing up along with Harry as, uh-huh. as he... Uh, progressed uh, in age. So I was about 14 when we started the band and got to pretend to be Harry Potter in a rock band with my brother. <laughs> so I, I know that uh, you've told this story a million times, but I love the idea that you you had a concert organized in the backyard and the band didn't show. Yeah. Most people would just buy extra <laughs> refreshments, but instead you... Yeah, we that's that's kind of how we started actually writing songs for the band. The idea had been kind of kicking around in our brains for the previous year or two preceding that that moment in time. But yeah, Joe had been hosting a sort of concert series in the shed in our parents' backyard. And <laughs> we just had a, a few bands cancel one day and we knew a few people were going to come show up. So we said, well, let's do this Harry and the Potters band idea. And we just sat down at the kitchen table for about an hour and wrote six or seven songs real quick, practiced them for another hour. And then our friends showed up and we played the songs for them. And at the end of that, we just kind of high-fived and we're like, yeah, we did it. Yeah. And the hilarious thing to me is that six of those seven songs end up on an album. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> They stuck with us, you know? Uh, we're still playing them live, you know? Not all of them. Some, so we, of, some we, of the songs so, weren't So that when great. you wanted to write that many, I mean, what did you do? Say, oh, quick, uh, what's the subject for number one? Yeah, that was exactly it. It was it was mm-hmm. just like, you know, I think the first movie had come out recently, so that was kind of fresh in our minds. So we were thinking about like what Harry kind of experiences in that in his first year when he finds out he's a wizard, he's going to Hogwarts and what that experience was like for yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, we grabbed a copy of the book and like flipped through it at our parents' kitchen table and uh picked out a couple things to write songs <laughs> together. In, you in done, the matter of a you couple done much hours. Writing before then? I think this is our first collaborative writing. Yeah. Paul was helping like my high school band record Mm -hmm. around that time too. And he'd give us like producer style, like give us some prompts to like make make some songs. Yeah. I was definitely the producer of Joe's Joe's middle school band. Did you have any kind of sophisticated equipment at all to record? Oh, we were recording on a cassette four track. So, like a TAC or a. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was a Tascam. Not even a Porta Studio. It wasn't a Porta Studio. It was like like a, a. yeah, yeah, it was a two channel. You could only record two channels at once yeah. um, on the four track. Uh-huh. So it was very high tech. Yeah, it was super <laughs> so, high so tech. So you finished this concert for however many people still turned up. It was a, still it was a handful of people. Yeah, maybe eight. Yeah, maybe eight people total. As long as it's more than the band. That's yeah, a yeah. Successful <laughs> game. Right. I mean, we've we've played to fewer. <laughs> 
So why didn't it just go away at that point? Why did it keep going and gain this life of its own? Yeah. I think we we realized there was a lot of enthusiasm around the books and like we noticed like there were bookstores that were having these big like midnight release parties when yeah. the books would be coming out. So when the fifth book came out, we kind of made our own goal to try to play as many bookstores that day as possible and we wanted to like record a record for that. So you and, say, "Hi Mr. Manager." Yeah, yeah I cold called We have a band. And- I cold called Borders Bookstore and talked to whoever did their in-store uh-huh. bookings. And I told her, I have a band that plays songs about Harry Potter. Do you want us to play when the fifth book comes out? And she said, well, send me a demo. So that is what got us recording music. And so as we were working on the demo, we're like, okay, well, let's write some more songs. And that ended up becoming our first album. It was all kind of written mm-hmm. within the span of like a month or two. And So even from that very first concert, I picture who gets to be Harry? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. is that how you came up with the, oh, that the was definitely both being Harry? Yeah. yeah. When Paul originally thought of the band Harry and the Potters, he thought like Harry would play with Ron and Hermione mm-hmm. and Hagrid all together. Yeah. Probably on bass. Yeah. Or Actually, Harry was going to be sort of like the punk rock front man, just <laughs> yeah. on vocals. You yeah. Know, like sort of like Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins, Black Flag style. And, you know, Hagrid on drums uh-huh. and Ron and Hermione and guitar and bass. Or, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, when it came time to actually form the band, we decided... Oh, we like, both look like Harry Potter. Yeah. We'll just be Harry Potter from different points in time. Yeah, we love so. time travel stuff, you know, like Back to the Future and yeah, Bill and Ted. Yeah, since that's even in the so, movies. Yeah, yeah and it's in the movies, is. so we kind of created this... It's canon to have yeah, we created two this, Harry Potters at the same time. Yeah, the, that happens in the third book. There's two Harry Potters at the same time, and they do great stuff together, you know? So we thought, well, why? what if they formed a band together? <laughs> Hey, if you are listening to this and thinking, well, I want, how did I miss hearing this music? Go to harryandthepotters.com. Yep. You can also check out iTunes and other okay, places, We're on iTunes, too. Bandcamp. How many albums now? Three full-length albums and then a series of, like, EPs and a live record. Some singles, like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, one of the reasons we're most excited to have you here is because of the way you've also really attached yourself to the cause of literacy right mm-hmm. from the very beginning. So how was this first connection made? Well, I think we thought it would be really fun to play in a library, to play loud rock and roll music in, in the a place library. where you have to exactly. Be quiet. Yeah, we love that sort of <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of punk to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the other thing was Harry Potter as a book phenomena has always had that ability to get people more interested in reading so it kind of Mm -hmm. made sense to us to like celebrate reading in that environment like playing in the library and sort of celebrating Mm -hmm. books and the the special place they hold in our lives and then from there we actually ended up helping to co-found an activist organization called the harry potter alliance i don't know if that's where you were getting into it yeah and also (laughs) working with i think it's firstbook.com was one of the beneficiaries yeah we raised some money for them at at various points um raising money for first book and then um, the harry potter alliance does work most of their work is aimed at getting young people involved in tackling social justice issues and connecting them to connecting them to real world issues through the stories they love. There's a lot of socio-political themes within Harry Potter. And, and that's the thing that I yeah. love is uh, just reading some of interviews you've given before where you had said the politics is all in there already. Yeah. Hmm. It's all there. And I yeah, I mean I think, you know, we get political in our social media and a lot of people, not a lot, but a few people will comment like why do you have to mix politics and Harry Potter? And I was like, wow, 
if you don't see the politics in Harry mm-hmm. Potter, you're maybe not reading it closely, which is fine. Like I can understand people wanting to find, especially really young to, kids. Yeah. To want it to be like an escapist yeah. sort of thing. But I also think that what I find in art and music and literature is that it has this ability to help us make sense of the world around us. Cause yeah. it's put, put a lens on your own world. That, exactly. You know. Yeah. You're, you're working within a closed system and it's has an order to it because it's all laid out there in front of you. And so well, and you have to hear the echoes from mm-hmm. the muggles and, yeah, and the or or the mudbloods and the house elves. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it really is. It really is all the way. It's a wonderful, so, very so complex when you go to a library, rich work. Uh, first yeah. of all, I totally agree. I can't <laughs> imagine anything more fun than making a lot of noise in that <laughs> yeah. place. Who were your audience? Was it all kids or parents bringing their kids? Now there are parents with kids who the parents grew up with Harry <laughs> yeah. Potter. It's, it's true. true. Yeah, when we, I mean, we didn't really have any of our own audience when we first started, so we were dependent on libraries reaching out to their communities. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a lot of kids or parents bringing their kids to our shows. Yeah, we didn't we, quite, we didn't know who was going to like our music. We kind of assumed young children. And yeah. So our first shows were at um, libraries in the Boston area. We played a handful mm-hmm. over the summer of 2003. And towards the end of the summer, we noticed something happening where like the same faces started popping up. And they knew all the words to our songs. And that was like, wow, we're maybe kind of on to something here. And then shortly after that, our band sort of entered into the greater Harry Potter fandom, which was not just young, you know, 10, 11-year-old yeah. kids, but teenagers and 20 yeah. These are people online connecting exactly. with each other. Yeah. We, didn't, we didn't know they existed when yeah. we started our band. We thought we were just going to be playing some kids' birthday parties or yeah. some, yeah. some libraries. So a lot of the very first songs we wrote are very um, a little like simpler and goofier and don't, don't necessarily touch on the more adult themes of the books. Yep. Um, Do you remember the very first of those songs that you wrote? Oh, yeah. It was uh, the, the Platform Nine and Three Quarters. Hogwarts. The Bus Don't Go to Hogwarts. Your level of commitment is impressive. I read that when you performed in the Netherlands, when they were releasing the translation of that book, you actually did that song in Dutch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. With uh, notes? You must have had uh, something we, you to... Know, like we asked record. our friends to to, yeah. to write it down for us. Yep. <laughs> and, and we had them, like, I, I just remember, like, being at a bar with our friend Jorg. He lives in Rotterdam, and he helped orchestrate those shows. And I remember sitting down with him and, like, going over the song over and over again for, like, 20 minutes to make sure we had it right. And um, That's really fun. I mean, it's, it, it was kind of amazing that we could travel abroad mm-hmm. to sort of a non-English speaking country and be able to play our music for people and they really appreciate it. And they were totally into the world yeah. that it exists in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, I I could play on the piano if you if you want that. A piano and a vocal mic? Or yeah, we could do we could do like mic. a bus don't go to Hogwarts if you want to like in Dutch. Drop that in. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> we're rolling. All right. All right. All right, this is the first song we ever wrote uh, about taking the bus. Oh, the bus don't go to Hogwarts, you gots to take the train. Oh, the bus don't go to Hogwarts, you gots to take the train. And we'll take the train from platform nine and three quarters. And we'll take the train from platform nine and three quarters. In Dutch, er gaat geen bus naar Schweinstein, daar moet je met die train. Oh yeah. 
Did you ever worry that when the books came to the end, like, oh, our material, our material, it's not coming anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we didn't know what would happen. You know, we didn't know how people would respond, how Harry Potter fans would respond to the end of the series. But I think that it's a testament to the books themselves that, like, they have this staying power, especially for a lot of people who kind of grew up with the stories. They had such an impactful place in their life that we've been able to keep doing what we're doing long after the books stop being published and these people still come out because they're looking for ways to reconnect with Harry Potter usually you know yeah. it had such a important part in their lives at some point because the music business has this unfortunate business part of that phrase you must have heard from some lawyer or some <laughs> publisher or some movie house saying no what exactly are you guys doing mm. yeah yeah Yep, that did happen. You've survived. You're still, We're still here. We survived. You're walking you know, free. We, we never got an actual cease and desist. Yeah, uh-huh. um, we didn't. Warner Brothers is the company that kind of owns all the merchandising kind of stuff, and we sort of fit into that category in a sense. And uh, I think they really understood the value of an active fan culture. I think there's a sort of misconception around intellectual property and copyright law, and it's really changed a lot over the last decade and a half with the advent of the internet and the sort of ability people have to very easily like remix content and things like that. And a studio like Warner Brothers really recognizes the value that that adds to a fan culture. And so we've been able to coexist. I think it's worked out in, in favor for both parties, really. Any chance you've gotten a note from J.K. Rowling? I got an email from her once. I was over in Scotland filming a documentary, and one of the people I was with knew Rowling because she was a she ran a Harry Potter fan site, and we were supposed to have lunch together. It didn't work out, but I did leave a little gift. We found a trophy at our local dump swap shop. <laughs> it was a trophy of a witch riding a broomstick, so I got it inscribed to say, "To world's greatest witch, J.K. Rowling, love Harry and the Potters." And the next day, I got a little thank you note in the email that was very nice, labeled Owl Post. So I can't help wondering what the original trophy was meant for. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I've never seen a trophy of a witch riding a broomstick Yeah, it's the before. only one I ever saw. So. It was a fortunate Well, we love that you're yeah. performing in libraries while you're here in Utah, among them Orem Public Library, uh, the Central Library in Orem, uh, the main library in Salt Lake. Is it, have you done that already or it's coming out? Nope. Tomorrow night is yeah. Salt Lake. Have you played there before? We have played there two or three times. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous, build, gorgeous building. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm wondering if we could talk about a few songs for a minute. Mm-hmm. I asked some of the, the students here at the university, the ones that are here now actually grew up pretty close to those ages that Harry and, and yeah. all the characters, Hermione, everyone mm-hmm. was. One of the ones that people said, oh, Jenny Weasley. You have to ask about the Jenny Weasley song. Save Jenny. Save yeah. Jenny, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably our big, big anthemic hit song. That was like the one at the top of our MySpace back in 2005, <laughs> 2006. That was our big, big hit. MySpace Platinum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was the idea of that? Just just capturing that moment when Harry sees that may, that she's broken up and that there might be possibility. Is that? Oh, are you talking about? Uh, we have two. Uh, we have two different Save Ginny songs. Uh, we had this sort of continuity in song naming, but there's uh, Save Ginny Weasley was the first song we wrote. Oh, with the bass. Save Ginny, yeah, yeah. Save Ginny Weasley from Dean Thomas was a <laughs> sort of sequel to that. So first we saved Ginny from the Basilisk, and then... Which is much more urgent than much more try, urgent trying to get her to break up with Dean Thomas. <laughs> the second part of that was maybe more a little little selfish for Harry Potter. 
which was he wanted to get get romantic with Ginny. Yep. <laughs> and rocking at Hogwarts. Well, that's a real deep cut. We put that on the mail songs. Yeah. Right? We had this bizarre idea to answer our fan mail by sending recordings to people in the mail, but we didn't put them on CD. We put them on three and a half inch floppy disks. Kind of something like a wizard who doesn't understand muggle technology yeah. would do. <laughs> so it just still happens to have yeah. some floppy yeah, disks. Yeah, so and... the, uh, they were MP3s, really low low uh, bit rate MP3s that we compressed really heavily to fit on like, you know, a floppy disk is 1.4 megabytes of information. <laughs> and we recorded five really short songs and compressed the heck out of them, loaded them onto the floppy disk, wrote a little note as a text file to the people mm. we mailed them to, put a stamp and wrote their address on the floppy disk and threw them in the mail. No packaging at all. And, and those they, got delivered. They arrived. Yeah, so it's sort of like a mail art project, you know, like very Fluxus-inspired. And You guys are obviously <laughs> still having a lot of fun with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my goodness, I mean, did day jobs go the way of the world, or do you still do still do that in the working world besides we're hustlers yeah. we're really as an entrepreneur yeah uh-huh. we gotta hustle if you're an artist so yeah i mean i quit my engineering job mm, 11 years ago we make it work you know like my wife and i own a small business in lawrence kansas that's an art gallery and a, a stationary shop and we got all sorts of side hustles going, you know. That's great. We play in a couple other bands. I assume like you even finished high school at some I point. I finished there. high school. <laughs> I went to college for four years during some of that. Yeah. Uh, Joe did college while we were touring. We were playing like 100 shows a year, and I was in school full time, too. shows a year. Yeah. We were touring an obscene <laughs> amount, and every day Joe was not in school, we were apparently playing a gig. So how about touring now? Uh, a little less. Yeah. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've got uh, some other projects we're working on. But as well. you've sort of spawned this, so I don't even want to say industry. You've, I would say movement. Yeah, like, you have a lot of other bands, and it's it <laughs> doesn't seem to be competitive so much as hey, look, you're doing this. Yeah, too. it's yeah. more more of a community. Work, work I would say. Yeah, uh, Wizard Rock. So and you appear together sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's um. So what ended up happening was after we had gone on a few tours other people sort of started following our lead and like, well, I want to write songs about Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. And so all these bands started popping up like Draco and the Malfoys and the Moaning Myrtles and MC Creature and all sorts of bands. Um, History of Magic, that was another one I saw. Yeah, there was an extraordinary number of bands. And some of them were just like kids who recorded one song and put it up on MySpace Mm -hmm. and that was all they ever did. But others took it more seriously and started touring and performing. And so, yeah, we do like... Um, a few shows every year around the holidays, we call them the Yule Ball, and we usually invite out as many of these bands as we can, you know, folks who are in the area. Yeah. Joe, do you have a favorite Harry and the Potter song, or one that's a favorite to perform, something oh, like that? Yeah. I really like our song, The Weapon, which is uh, sort of about the power of love overcoming Voldemort, so mm. I think that's uh, been very appropriate for us to be playing. Yeah. Nice. Do you, a, do you have a, a song as well that you like to? Yeah. Mm. Well, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, we're in a we're in a very different world now than we were just a week ago with Trump being elected. And so there's some songs that we had written back when Bush was president that we felt like were aimed at those authoritarian figures. So one, one song that's been on my mind recently is called These Days Are Dark, which uh, takes place at the end of the fourth book where... Voldemort's return to power, and Harry and his friends kind of resolve to fight on. Mm. 
I'm just wondering, when I think about you guys coming together, and uh, you must be surprised every day, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it happened. And so, mm-hmm. so here you are, and, and you're, you're making the most of it, enjoying yourselves. And I think probably being really happy about, I think, a lot of good that you're doing. Literacy, other social causes, and mm-hmm. inspiring a lot of kids to do it yourself. And that's one thing I wanted to ask. Did you grow up in a, a kind of a do-it-yourself family where you're not just a spectator? Did you just come that way? I don't know that it came out of our family. As I mean, our family, we we did have a history of like people starting their own businesses and being entrepreneurial. I think more than anything, we kind of took the lead of the musicians we loved and saw them just getting out and doing it, playing anywhere, people's yeah. basements or mm. in yeah, any know. anywhere can be a place to host a show. And I think we approach it with that like. Mm-hmm optimism that like the party's what you make of it right so we t- just took cues from the the musicians we loved uh, in particular this performer adam and his package who made like kind of like synth-based punk rock songs that were really smart and nerdy and even like metacritical of like the insularity of punk rock culture and but he would just like tour around in his car and he had almost no equipment and he would, you know, crash on people's couches. And I was like, well, we could probably do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, I remember like reading his, his tour diary that he'd publish on his website online. And yeah. it, it kind of gave us a model of how it's possible to, to exist as mm-hmm. a band kind of outside regular mainstream music culture. Now, you knew about the Harry Potter books, obviously, and you had them when you wrote the first songs, but... I read once where you're saying, well, we weren't really super fans. Yeah, I think. Beginning. I think. Because there are people who know every name yeah, and every. Right. Yeah, char- absolutely. Character. I think for us, we came out of the band for us was more of like a goofy music project. Yeah, and we like, thought we were be... really into this mm-hmm. idea of like a concept band. Mm-hmm. And we like the challenge of writing inside of a concept. One of our other bands is called Black Wampum, and we write songs exclusively about. Cohogs, which are hard shell clams, sort of regional to the Northeast United <laughs> States. So we love setting these parameters it's in which niche genre. Suit, well, there's not yeah. a genre. Well, we're trying to make it clam rock. Clam it's rock. It's a thing. It's a thing. More Got clam clams bands. out here in Utah. <laughs> not to no, speak of. No clams in the in the Salt Lake. Too salty. Sorry. Too salty. <laughs> you guys could change that. So. <laughs> What song should we go out with? What's the song that kind of represents where you are now? That you, What do you end the show with? Well, Joe already mentioned The Weapon. I would say let's go out on Phoenix Song because that's, that's a song that we kind of comes in at the end of book six. I won't, I won't talk about spoilers, but it is a moment where things change pretty significantly for mm-hmm. Harry and his friends. And they, again, sort of resolve to fight on. And it's a song about like finding hope in, in a dark place. You're a wizard, Harry. It's not much, but it's home. It is all what choices. The Phoenix sings a song in our hearts. Sing along tonight. It's okay to cry. Someday we'll all laugh, but you better get your act together after the bird sings and we sing back.
and Joe DeGeorge, thank you for making time to come in and talk together, they and various band members, a drummer and others. Whole are. rotating cast of drummers. Harry and the Potters, thanks so much. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah, great to be here, thank you. If you just caught part of the show and you want to hear the beginning, hear it again, or share it, it's easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89. And follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. <laughs>